All right, and would everyone please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Amen. The book of Nehemiah chapter 5, starting at verse 14, you will find these words. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Indeed, I also continued the work on the wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work, and at my table were 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep, also fowl were prepared for me. And once every ten days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions, because the bondage was heavy on this people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Saints of God, I want to talk to you today from the thought, the godly leader and the perils of promotion. The godly leader and the perils of promotion. What we have established at the outset, amen, of this series of lessons in the book of Nehemiah on leadership is that leadership is given to those who desire to do a good thing for the Lord. And leadership does not necessarily come from vocational positions. You can be a leader and not be a pastor. You can be a leader and not be a deacon. You can be a leader, not be an evangelist. You can be a leader, not be a missionary. You can be a leader, not be an auxiliary head. But every baptized, born again believer is a leader. Amen. It is made clear from one of the epistles of Peter that we are a royal priesthood. Amen. We have been appointed and anointed by God to the priesthood. Every baptized, born again believer. Wow. Amen. Amen. And so the book of Nehemiah shows us that leadership comes from those who love God. Wow. Nehemiah didn't have any position in Judah. Nehemiah was 800 miles away in Persia, in the city of Shushan. He was in the city, he was serving the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. We found out in previous lessons, amen, that he was the cupbearer to the king. We established that when we make the excuse about being too busy to do something for God, that's all it is, an excuse. Because we realized that Nehemiah's job as cupbearer was 24-7. Anytime the king wanted something to drink or wanted something to eat, Nehemiah had to first taste it just in case it was poisoned. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah was in such a critical place that his life could be taken if somebody was trying to poison the king. Well, yeah. So it was a 24-7 job. Amen. And so busyness is not an excuse. 
We all have 24 hours in a day. Nehemiah didn't have any more time than we have today. But you know what he did? He found time for the Lord's work. And I contend to you, every one of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to find time for the Lord. There's always something else to do. Amen. But when you stop and make a concerted effort to say, I'm going to do for the Lord. I know I got a whole schedule full of stuff, but you know what? Some stuff going to get peeled back and pushed aside because the Lord comes first. That's what has to happen. He had to peel back and to push away some things. He had to go to God in prayer. Amen. And he took a greater risk. Amen. Then we take and taking a few things off of our plates in order to do for the Lord. He had to go to the king and ask him to come off of his post. King Artaxerxes could have had his head for that. But he believed God. And it all started with prayer. See, when you want to do something for the Lord, you got to talk to the Lord about it. So many times the saints of God, we, we do things religiously. We, we go in and out of buildings and in and out of services, but we're not taking enough time to pray. We're not taking enough time to stop and talk with the Lord about our position in him and what God wants us to do. We don't stop long enough and turn the TV off and turn the radio off and just turn off the stuff so that we can hear from the Lord. And as a matter of fact, that the Lord can hear from us. If we are be honest to ourselves about our prayer life, we know that our prayer lives are wanting. We know that they're short. We know that we that could go weeks without going into concerted prayer with God. Yeah, we might pray over our meals, amen. We might pray at bedtime, amen. But really getting into the crux of the matter, getting down into the deep recesses of our lives and dealing with that with the Lord, amen, is a foregone conclusion in some of our lives. But today, this man, Nehemiah, reminds us that men ought to always pray. As Jesus said in Luke 18, men ought to always pray. His was a life of prayer about the mission of God with his people. He had a heart for God. He had a passion for God, but he also had compassion for people. It was Nehemiah, 800 miles away, who said to his brothers and asked the question, how was things going in Judah? Is everything all right? And he got the, good, the bad news that things weren't very well. He found out that the walls had been torn down and the gates had been burned. But Nehemiah could have stopped with empathy. He could have said, oh, that's just a crying shame. I feel so bad about him, but I, I got to keep on doing what I do here for the king and Shushan. But no, he didn't stop there. He went into concerted prayer with compassion asking the Lord how he could fit into the rebuilding of the great city of Jerusalem. Lord, here I am, as Isaiah said, send me. Every one of us are responsible to the Lord for our stewardship. You can't go to the Lord on my behalf or what Butler has done. You got to go on what you have done. Amen. It's going to be a personal thing between you and God. All I am is like Moses was one who is part of the house. I'm not the builder of the house, but trying to lead us in the things of the builder of the house. But in the last day, when everything is put aside, it's not going to be me there with you. It's going to be you with him and me with him. I've got to make an account of my own stewardship. Amen. It's a personal thing. But while we're down here, amen, Reverend, and we are living in this life, and it is still called today, amen, it's another opportunity to serve the Lord. It's another opportunity to look at some of the blights in our communities and in our cities, in our world, and ask the Lord, how can I help? Lord, what would you have me to do? If Nehemiah could come 800 miles when there were no cars, no airplanes, no buses, 
Amen. Horseback is what they had. Amen. It took a long time to go 800 miles, but he was willing to sacrifice for the things of God. So I am convicted. I am questioned. And you ought to be too. What are we willing to sacrifice for the things of God? Are we content with going on in our lives, doing what we want to do and what we think is best, what the society says is best, and shirking the things of God? Or are we interested in getting on board with the plan of God so we can carry out the mission of God while it is yet day? Because Jesus said it so poignantly when he said, you must work the works of him while it is yet day. Because night cometh and no man can work. Paul said the the night is far spent and the day is at hand. In either of those cases, you only got a little while. Years go by. Decades go by, and before you know it, you have gotten into a point where you can hardly do anything for the Lord. It's almost time to go see the master, and you look back on your years and say, what have I done with him? I did a lot of stuff, but what did I do for the Lord? But I want to encourage us today and let us know it's only what you do for Christ that will last. Amen. So let us make it a priority. Now when we deal with the situation as it relates to the godly leader and the perils of promotion, we find ourselves taking a journey through chapter 5, dealing with chapter 5, dealing with verses 14 through 18. I want to put a pen right here and let you know that if you are one who desires to do a good work for the Lord, promotion is inevitable. The reason why is because Jesus says the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There were so few doing anything that when you began to get a concerted effort about doing the things of God, God will elevate you to a place so that you can do more. Because there's already a repleteness. There's already a famine for workers in the kingdom of God. Amen. And it was the same almost 2,000 years ago. And unfortunately, it's the same today. In any set, any congregation, anywhere, you can find probably a 20% that's doing the most of the work and 80% is along for the ride. So it's a problem, amen, that still exists, that Pareto rule, amen, applies today, amen. That there's only a small portion of the church that is getting after the work. Everybody else is saying, well, you know, I got a bunch of other stuff to do. I got some houses and some land over here to deal with. Man, I got some fields to to, to plow. I got this and I got that. In our contemporary world, I got this job opportunity. I got this event. I mean, after I get through doing all of that, then I can think about doing something in the house of the Lord. But God keeps, keeps saying to us, no reprioritize your life don't you put God on the back burner you put him on the front you put all the stuff that you want to do and the things that you want to do on the back side and you put God on the front he says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you we toiling and twisting and turning for the wrong things There's stuff God just want to just flat out give you. But you're too busy trying to do it yourself, amen, instead of putting God's things first and letting him give it to you. Amen. But Nehemiah wasn't like that. Nehemiah put some serious stuff on hold so that he could deal with the things of God. And so God blessed him, amen. Blessed him to a place of privilege. Amen. He was something in Persia. But in Jerusalem, in Judah now, he is the governor. Look at the text. It says it there in the 14th verse that he is now the governor. It says, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years. During this time, amen, Nehemiah is now not playing the role of cupbearer 
but the governor of Judah. King Artaxerxes still has auspices over Judah as well because now the Persian or the medial Persians are now in control. They have come in and they have overtaken Babylon who overtook Judah. So now Persia is in control. But at this point, there is something specific and of higher and more importance because he is not working for the king of Persia. He's working for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So he's been promoted, amen, even though from an earthly perspective, he's three rungs down, amen, but he's really transcended above because his leadership now is the king above King Artaxerxes, amen. So now in, in this, we find that in your promotion as a godly leader comes privilege. Look at the text. In the text, he says, Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. Uh, That little phrase right there allows us to realize that in Nehemiah's promotion, amen, he had privileges. With his position as governor, there were some private privileges that other people did not get. When he talks about the the governor's provisions, King Artaxerxes had put into place, amen, a set of policies, amen, and procedures by which the governor of Judah would be allowed to get a portion of the tax money, amen, to live in the lap of luxury. See, King Artaxerxes knew if he was going to keep all of the kingdoms and all of the places that they had control over, he had to have the leaders in his lap. He had to have them happy so that they would work out the things to keep the people under control in the different kingdoms, in the different nations. So there was this this provision, amen, that would allow tax money to be taxed of the people to come up to the governor so that the governor could live in the lap of God. Luxury. With promotion comes the perils of privilege. But one thing about Nehemiah is that if you notice, he did not take of the governor's provisions. Nehemiah understood that if he did too much feeding of his flesh, he would be no good for God. That his flesh would take him in places that God would not be pleased, that he would find himself off track and out of whack. Amen. But he decided, instead of having the passing pleasures of sin, he decided to be faithful to the Lord. When you in promotion, amen, because let, let let me put this in perspective too. Sometimes we try to segregate what we do in the, in the business world from what we do in the church. That, that's called secularism, amen? But, but I'm wanting you to know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell in it. So for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no separation. Whether you are working in the corporate world or you are working on a committee in the church, you're still God's leader. So therefore, the fidelity that you give when you're working as an auxiliary head or a deacon or a preacher or any leader in the church ought to be the same fidelity that you do when you're on your job. You ought to be the same way. Nehemiah was one of fidelity when he was the cupbearer as well as when he was the governor of Judah. And one of the things about being a leader is that those leaders that have fidelity, that that are authentic, or those who, who look for equality and righteousness, amen, the people that work under them praise them because that kind of leader makes a better life for those whom he or she leads. Are y'all following me? But this works as well, not just in the church, 
but in the world as well. Because you're in the world, but you're not of the world. You are pilgrims passing through a barren, very barren land. But your godly leadership is not predicated on what you are doing. Wherever you are, whether it's in public or private, whether it's in corporate or in the church, you're still God's leader. And God is holding you to the same standard that he holds you in here. He will hold you to that out there. You will give account of your stewardship for all of your works. Amen? Amen. So we look at our text. This privilege can get to be a problem. There are business folks who, that are Christians who will say that, you know, after I got this promotion, you know, there were things that I saw in the work, in the work world that I had never seen before. I, I was made privy and I was given opportunities that I had never knew were available. There were opportunities that God would not be pleased with and there was great pressure to bow down to it so that I could keep my position and everybody could be happy. Everybody, you know, there's a strain and the struggle, the peer pressure of leadership. But God is saying, remember that you don't work for them. You work for me. So at the end of the day, after they've said all they got to say, you look up and see me. And I'm watching you because I neither sleep nor slumber. Amen. So privilege is an issue that every godly leader has to wrestle with. Amen. Because there's temptations on every side. But I'm encouraging you, saints, to know that you can overcome those temptations. You don't have to fall into what the world wants you to do. You must always remember that the God that we serve lives on the inside. And greater is he that's within you than he is in the world. All the influences of the society pale in comparison to the God that lives in you. As the book of Ephesians, Paul the Apostle said, you are sealed to the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. That same Paul says in the fifth and the sixth chapter, amen, of Romans, he says that as sin would abound, grace abounds all the more. He's not saying it for a license to sin, amen. He's saying it that we, the more grace we have, the more ability we have not to sin. Amen. That's who we got on the inside. So we've got a way out of no way. We've got a way because there is no temptation but such is common to man. But God is faithful and that he will not put on you more than you can bear. But with the temptation, he will give you a way to escape. God bless you here. Because that's the reality here is that God has you in a place so that he can get his glory, Reverend. That he can get his glory out of you. When you're in the crucible and the pressure is on, when you stand for God, God straightens up and says, that's my boy and that's my girl. That even though the world came in like a flood, he stepped back or she stepped back long enough for me to raise up a standard against him. Amen. So as we deal with our text and we move into verse 15, we must deal with the issue of past policies. Every godly leader whom God would promote most likely will be promoted into a place where somebody else was. You're not the first one, amen. Most likely won't be the last. But for such a time as this that you are in that position, you're going to have to deal with some stuff that came before you. Let's look at the text. In verse 15, But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Now, when we look at a text like this, We can treat it academically and look at Nehemiah and say, go Nehemiah. (laughs) 
you're a bad dude. Yes, you didn't fall for the okey-doke. You didn't get yourself caught up in this. But I want you to let verse 15 live. Not live in the 4th century B.C., but live in the 21st century today. I want this verse to live right now in 2016, soon to be 2017. I want this verse to live in your lives because as you promote, you got to deal with the legacy of other leaders before you. And sometimes those leaders were not very good. Sometimes those leaders fell for it and fell into the issues of trying to live in the lap of luxury. And unfortunately, right here in this text, these governors were the governors of Judah. Think about that for a minute. Do you realize that it's not just the corporate world where you get promoted to positions where the last leader was not a very good leader? You can get promoted to positions in the church and have to deal with a quagmire of, of inequalities in policy and, and what's going on and how we did things so that you are almost tangled in a web of, of strange things that, as the Bible says, some strange fire that you've got to untangle and do away with just to get things on point. But you must remember whom you serve. If God puts you in a position like that, he knows that you're able to do it. Brother Wheeler, if he puts you in a position to carry out that work, no matter how quagmired it is, no matter how messed up it is, he has equipped you to handle it. See, God is not up in heaven wringing his hands, wondering who's he going to get to do what. Who has the the right gifts and the right abilities and skills to handle this situation? God is the creator of all things. He knows every one of us intricately. And when he places you in that position, you are equipped because you are God's. And whatever is broken, he can fix it. Whatever is lacking, he can add. Whatever needs to be straightened, he can straighten and iron out. You just trust the Lord. So the policies, don't, 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 don't bow down to the policies that you know that are not right. You've got to work the work that God has sent you. And I want you to know sometimes that comes with a lot of adversity. Sometimes that comes with a lot of folks setting up traps for you. That comes with a lot of folks scandalizing your name. But it don't matter what man does because remember that you serve the Lord. (laughs) Remember that the king's hand or the king's heart is like putty in the hands of the Lord. So it don't matter. It didn't matter what Sanballat and and, and uh, it didn't matter what Geshem had to say. It doesn't matter what the Arabs had to say. It didn't matter what the enemies had to say about Nehemiah because Nehemiah understood he was doing a work for the Lord. And you must understand whether you're in a secular quote-unquote context or whether you're in a church context, you're still working for the Lord because God just don't want to get glory in here. He wants to get glory out there too. He wants to see you on that job when you're amongst all them folks that's lying and cheating and, and cussing and got coarse jesting. He still wants you to stand for him. He still wants you to be a beacon of light to a dark and dismal world. Amen. Amen. Because at the end of the day, man doesn't reward you anyway. Amen. Oh, this little money and things here, it's going to all burn up in the flames anyway. But there is timber that you send up to glory, that the true witches that will never be taken away, that the moth and rust does not destroy, that the thieves cannot break in and steal. You remember that, that you served the Lord. Look at the text, because that's what kept Nehemiah. When you look at verse 15, the reason why he didn't take those provisions and he didn't allow that corruption to be part of his ministry is because of the fear of God because of the fear of God unfortunately today a lot of folks ain't afraid of God folks take God like he is just some 
buddy you can kind of slap hands with and then go on about your business. They ain't worried about God. You know, they just kind of do their own things. They ain't worried about judgment. They ain't worried about nothing. It's the most lackadaisical type of, 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 of age that seems to have been at least in a long time. Amen. Folks just don't care nothing about church. God, nothing else. They just do what they do. But you as a leader, amen, you got to feel the Lord. See, that's the problem is that we don't have enough godly leaders that fear God. But you can be the catalyst to bring about a change. You can start to turn the ship back the right direction. You don't know how God will use the life that you live and sacrifice to him, amen, to touch somebody else's life. To show somebody else a better way. To realize that God is real. Amen. And he is the judge that sits on the throne. That he is the one that they need to follow to get their mixed up, messed up, tangled up lives untangled and on the right road by watching you. But if you do just like they do and live like they do, what will they see? But the same old thing. You got to step out of your comfort zone and and live in the fear of the Lord. Because we're always more comfortable in the flesh than we are in the spirit. Amen. Because it's only natural. But we are no longer natural but spiritual. We're no longer carnal but spiritual. We have been raised in Christ. Amen. Because we are now no longer those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. But we have been made alive in Christ. And now we sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We can see above the fray. And we can see the truth that the sun still shines even though the storm and rain is coming. Amen? And so when we look at our text, we realize as well that there's some problems in being a leader that can cause you to become slack. Cause you to slack off and allow other folks who are under you do all the work. But that's not what Nehemiah did. Let's look at the text. Look at the text, verse 16. Indeed, I also continued the work on the wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah, in this place of privilege, this place of leadership, dealing with these broke down policies that he's got to try to unravel and fix. Of, of those who tried to live in the lap of luxury, who tried to, to, to in, in do, indulge the flesh. Amen. As he's working, he keeps his mind fixed on the work. He didn't get caught up in trying to do investments over and and, and buy land here and do that. No, he knew he needed to take his time and money and focus on the mission that was at hand. There's a mission that's in hand for all the believers. We got folk dying out here left and right. Amen. We got folk homeless. We got folk sick. We got folk out here who's on drugs and alcohol. We got mental disabilities. We got issues everywhere. We got folks who are lost and need to be saved. Amen. There are some things we can do, but man, don't let this time go by you without serving the Lord at the issues is at hand. He says, how how have we fed you? He said, when, 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 when I was hungry, you fed me. He said, when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I didn't have a place to stay, you gave me shelter. He said, well, when did we do all these things, Lord, when you did it to the least of these? Yeah, yeah. See, there's some least of these out in the world who, who the world just kind of marginalizes and dejects. And there's some folk out here. There's some drug abusers. There's some, there's some folk out here who, who, who are... Treated as the blight of the world, the blight of our community, those are the least of these. Those are the ones God has called us to, and we've got to stay focused on the work. Don't get caught up in so much other stuff, amen, and miss your opportunity to work for the Lord. Finally, as I come to a close, the final point in this message, amen, is people. The final point, the godly leader and the perils of promotion, amen, is that you are leader over people. It's all about people. It's not about things, right? It's not about stuff. It's not about agendas. It's about people. 
And you don't want to get out front as a leader and run so far out that you're no good for the people. You done got so far and, and so accomplished that the folks that are struggling under you can't grab you by the hand. Look at Nehemiah's life. Let's look at this, verses 17 and 18. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, beside those who came to us from the nations around us. Remember, Mason, Nehemiah could have said, you know what? It's too many guys at my table here. This, this is too much. I need my own private room over here, and I'm going to just eat all by myself. But Nehemiah understood that this leadership business is about people. And he knew he needed to be around folks and touching folks. He needed to be close to folks. So his table was surrounded by many leaders, many Jews, 100 and. 50. And you know what? He didn't stop saying my 150 and no more. Those inside of Jerusalem, those inside of Judah, I'm going to close the door. If you look real close, it says, and came to us from the nations around us. See, your ministry is not just to those who look like you, those who talk like you, those who are just in the household of faith. Your ministry is to those outside as well. Yes, we are to love one another, to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens. Yes. But your ministry is not done now because the mission of God came. He died for the whole world. Right? He sent an apostle, the apostle Paul, to the Gentiles. He sent Peter to the Gentiles. He sent it to some folks outside of that looked like the Jewish folk because his mind was on saving the world. And your mind must know that it must go outside of just church business inside. It must go out to a world that don't know nothing about Christ. They may have heard his name, but they don't know him. They need somebody to come along personally and have a relationship with them and lead and guide them in the discipleship into the household of God. Amen. So as we look at this text and we come to a close is that the whole idea of this type of leadership, whether you're in the corporate world or whether you're in the church, is about people. Always has been, always will be. And it's about the welfare of folk. It's not about people to use and abuse, but it's it's about to encourage and to edify and to lift up and to lead in righteousness. Amen. That is our goal. At the end of the day, when we stick our swords in the sand of time to study war no more, that is the question that God was going to be asking me. You and I, what did you do with that that I gave you to do? What did you do with my mission? In your ministry, how did it line up with my mission to seek and to save that which is lost? Amen? Amen. And then at the end of this, verse 19 reminds me of the words of Jesus once again when he says in Luke 18, men ought to always pray. Look what he does. Nehemiah says, remember me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. Church, you got to know that what you do is nothing if you don't do it for the Lord. What you do counts for nothing unless it's done for the Lord. And in order to do anything, you got to have the Lord. It is the Lord that says, without me, you can do nothing. So saints of God, I encourage you today to remember the words of Nehemiah. Remember how he handled promotion. 
Because inevitably, if you work for the Lord, promotion is on its way. Some of you have already been promoted. Amen. And so some of you in your context today, how will you handle privilege? How will you handle policy? How will you handle the people? Will you handle them right or will you handle them wrong? It leads me to the greatest leader that ever has been. Nehemiah was a great leader, one of the best, but there is one greater. There is one that Nehemiah's life is a type of. There is one that the prophets prophesied of. And one day when the time was right, this one was born of a virgin. And he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. This one was not in the ends because there was no room there for him. This leader was born in a manger. He was laid down in a trough. This leader knows how low you can go. But he also knows how high you can get. Because wrapped in those swallowing clothes was the king of kings and the lord of lords. Wrapped in those swallowing clothes was the word that holds all the world together. Wrapped in those swallowing clothes was the one that said in the beginning let there be and it was. Let me tell you about a leader at 12 years old. He began to confound the leaders in Jerusalem. Let me tell you about one at 30 years old as he walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem. He said that he must be about the father's business. He went healing the sick and raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, giving speech to those who could not talk, giving hearing to those who could not hear. Let me tell you about a leader who didn't have on a lot of bling bling, but he was still the greatest of them all. He walked those dusty streets of Jerusalem teaching the word of God that was part of his ministry but his mission was come to die. To die for a soul sick world who had no way out of the bondage of sin. So after three years one day in the garden of Gethsemane we found this great leader praying for you and for me. Remember that it all starts with prayer and undoubtedly it all ends with prayer. He was praying in the garden of Gethsemane and the sweat was coming down like drops of blood. And as there was a point where anguish came all over him, but he decided not to go his own way. But he said, uh, not my will, Father, but your will be done. Then one of his own disciples betrayed him with a kiss. And the Roman soldiers took him from judgment hall to judgment hall. They whipped him all night long from Annas to Caiaphas, from Caiaphas to the From Pilate to Herod, from Herod back to Pilate. He was through six kangaroo courts with nothing good about him. But he knew his mission in God was to die for the sins of the world. So they marched him down the Via Della Rosa, down the road of anguish. They marched him to outside the walls of Jerusalem. They put nails in his hands and they 
Yes, he was. Yes, he was. From the sixth to the ninth hour, darkness was all over the land. But at the ninth hour, my Jesus and your Jesus, he died, didn't he die? But that's not the end of the story. They took him down off that old rugged cross. And they put him in the tomb of Joseph from Arimathea. Somebody might say, why didn't Jesus have his own tomb? Well, I'm here to let you know that he wasn't going to be there very long. The Bible says he was in that grave. of the church are open. We don't take it for granted that everybody's saved. And here is another opportunity. God's arms are open wide. That if you don't know Jesus Christ in the pardoning of your sins, you know about the Christ, but you know you don't have a relationship with the Christ. You know that he doesn't walk with you and talk with you and tell you that you are his own. You can fix that problem today. But it has everlasting consequences. You can keep putting it off and you can say, well, I, I got another day when I, when I feel better, I, when, when things are just right. You don't know if tomorrow is going to be Amen. your last day. You don't know if you're going to be finished today. But what you do know is right now, while the blood is running warm in your veins, Right now, you can trust the Lord today. You can get your life right and your business fixed. That when judgment comes, when the rains descend, when the winds blow, when the floods come, that your house will be on the solid rock and it shall not fall. Today is the day of salvation. Why don't you come today? There is room at the cross for you. There is room at the cross for you. There is room at the cross. 
there's still room for one. There is room at the cross for you. Amen. Amen.